everybody. You're listening to the Changing Times podcast, where we talk about anything and everything transformation related. This is your host, Cheesy Dino, and I'm here to bring you another episode for season two. I'm getting close to the end. I know I've said that before, but couldn't be ever more true. Um, and I actually want to invite our um, co-host tonight. He goes by the name of Meloflox. And he will be joining us on this wonderful evening to discuss our matter. So welcome to you, Meloflox. Thanks, Cheesy. Hello, I'm Meloflox. I'm sure that's obvious by now. And uh, looking forward a lot to getting to know Cora here. Most definite indeed. And now we look forward to what he has to offer, uh, both for the podcast and the community in the future. Um, and... Just as he said, we're here joined by our uh, podcast guest, Cora Blue, um, which currently runs and uh, is the author for the Breaking and Entering comic. So, grand, warm welcome to you. Thank you. Good to be here. Awesome sauce. All right. So, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. Uh, so let's start, go ahead and start out with formalities. So, uh, with the name Cora Blue, what kind of came up with that? It's really simple. Uh, you're probably going to be disappointed. It's my name and my favorite color. <laughs> uh, I, when I uh, was coming up with a new name, I moved from an old one for, from forever ago, which borders on copyright infringement. So, I needed a new one, and I knew that I wanted to take my art in a professional direction, so I want wanted something that kind of related to my real life identity. So yeah, just my first name and my favorite color. Sometimes simple is best. Yeah. Most definitely. So, uh, uh, I guess blue being your favorite color is pretty convenient because Cora orange or Cora purple doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite. All right. So that, there, there are a couple colors that work, I guess red maybe but no. <laughs> Cora red has a bit of a demeaning sound to it I guess you could say demeaning <laughs> demeaning or very dark dark we couldn't That's have Cora blue that, be dark I mean it matches know, my content <laughs> yeah but the, I mean your content but the, then you have the pastel color scheme right like you can't have dark with Cora blue yeah uh, yeah that's true so is that um, is that sort of more than just your avatar? I, I know there's a uh, a character you draw, which is sort of you in respects, correct? Yeah. The uh, the, the blue uh, canine fellow or last, correct? Yeah. Um, is do you just call that person uh, that avatar by Cora Blue? Is that the character? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just me. I'm really not complicated. Like I know there are a whole bunch of people that have like alternate identities or like some people have like five alternate identities. I, I, I don't think I could keep up with that to be honest. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just me and I've got the one avatar it's evolved over time, but I just have the one. Has this been, um, your avatar going back to your old account? I know you've been involved with the community for almost a, a decade at least, right? I remember yeah, you well, I, I, uh, I first got into the furry community in 2004 when I first went to college. That's, uh, that's even before fur affinity was even a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This was 
this was when DeviantArt had just opened, I think. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you got into the furry community in college, you said, and, and even then you, you started off, as most people do, with this sort of identity for yourself. Is that part of the fun of it initially? Yeah, well, uh, it, it had started because one of the most talented artists in the in the uh, college classes that I was taking was a furry, and I had never, uh, I've never heard of the community, but we bonded, and uh, she told me, "Hey, if you want to take a look at my entire gallery, here's this website called DeviantArt, which I'd never heard of," and so I went on, and I felt like I needed to make a character because she had one. And at the time, I was really into uh, a, a tabletop game series called Old World of Darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in the Changing Breeds book, there's this character in the uh, intro story called Sunbright Scales. And I directly ripped off this name, I am ashamed to say. And I actually had a scaly character for a while. Uh, what is this? This is heresy. Yeah. <laughs> so I... Uh, evolved from that scaly character, which is this red and black striped dragon to a red and gray dragon wolf, which eventually oh. turned into a blue jackal. So yeah, it's, it's been a really <laughs> weird evolution. Yeah. It's quite the transition. <laughs> so is the next step, the jackal dragon logically or. Well, I, I keep getting, I keep getting smaller, fluffier and bluer as we go along. So I don't know. I, so maybe maybe my future is Pomeranian or something. <laughs> <laughs> that might be interesting. Well, uh, you, you mentioned there was an artist who, who introduced you to the community. Is, are they still involved? Is there somebody, do they have a name we might know them by or? Uh, I, th I think so. Uh, let me just double check here. They're a uh, lucid Kitsune on fur affinity, I believe. Um, they're not too active anymore, but, uh, they do traditional stuff, which I've never really been that great at. And, um, they do some kick-ass watercolor stuff. Ah, uh, so Lucid Kitsune. I'll have to check that out. I don't think I've, uh, looked at her, her gallery yet, but. Sounds very familiar to, you said, there's a person named Lily Kitsune. Is it Lily Kitsune? He said, yeah, I think I think so. I have seen like, her. She does the chemical attraction comic, or he, she, I'm not sure who it is. I think I think she said Lucid Kitsune, or maybe yeah, oh, L-U-C-I-D. Okay. I'm sorry. Wow. Okay. Two oh. different people. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a pretty close jump. Can't yes, really fault you. It is. So <laughs> I digress. Um, but yeah, I see a reoccurring theme here. Actually, now that you said that you started out with um, tabletop games, it seems. Most of our podcasters, once upon a time, started out at a tabletop game. And then it goes from there to history. So that's very interesting to hear. But um, more about your art, since you sort of answer one of, one of our forthcoming questions. But um, what really got you to really doing art as a whole, even before school, if it was more of a thing before then? What started me off was my dad, honestly. Uh, when I was a kid, I couldn't sit still. Uh, I had ADHD. I like so taking me to the taking me to church was a nightmare. Uh -oh. um, my parents were pretty religious, so in order to keep me quiet and still in church, my dad used to draw for me. 
Oh. And uh, yeah, so I, I grew up being like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be able to do that. That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, we, like you sit in the church pews and he would he would draw with you. Yeah. That's awesome. Actually kind of takes me back to my days. I had some religious parents as well. Ooh. But uh, back in the old times. Back in the good old, not so good old days. Good, <laughs> not good so little good boys days. and girls. <laughs> so you were you were drawing from a very young age then. Oh yeah. I I've had I've had sketchbooks since I was seven or eight. I, I wouldn't want to show off any of them. No, well I mean uh <laughs> I think we all know that sort of hesitance to show old work, right? Which it's part of why you, you jumped accounts. Yeah. Um, but at what point did you, did it go from being a sort of a childhood hobby, you know, the, the doodles to you thinking of yourself as an artist, as wanting to go into art for a living? Does that happen in your teenage years or is that sort of a college thing for you? It didn't happen to college. And honestly, I was, I enrolled myself in college way too young. I, I was, I think I was 14. I graduated high school early and I was just way too young to understand the financial and, and uh, scholarly responsibilities that go along with college. But it, it started with college. And I think that I was sold on turning this into a career after the success of critical condition. Did you uh, have a sort of backup uh, idea in case that didn't work out? Yeah, I actually have a six year long resume for the IT profession. Oh, so I, uh, I fixed computers and security systems for about six years. Oh, well, that makes two of us. <laughs> oh, yes. a Renaissance woman. Uh, hold on a second. Though. You said you you entered college at 14. There's there's a story there. What's were you homeschooled? Were you just very quick in your studies? Oh, this I mean, isn't that's... great either. OK, so. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my parents moved a lot. So. um. It partly was uh, financial issues on their part, but I never stayed in any place for longer than a year. So I was never able to finish the school year. I was never able to keep up with anything. So I was homeschooled a lot. And when I wasn't homeschooled, I was doing the best I can to play catch up on, on my own. And around the time I was 14, 15, there was just no way that I was going to get a traditional high school education. We were moving around way too much. So I went and took the GED and I passed. And um, my mom was probably a little overly excited. And she took me around. She she told me, like, we're going to go look at we're going to go look at colleges just to just to look around. I'm like, OK, we'll just look around. And we ended, I ended up being enrolled at the end of the day. Yeah, famous so, last words. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were in Rolly College, your mother maybe got a little too eager because, you, you, like you said, you were young, right? 14. There's only so much yeah. you can understand about the adult world. What, what happened? Did you um, did you sort of go on and off then as you learned the realities of, of adult life before finally entering um, college? Or is this is this the timeline where you first met that artist character or does that happen at a later date? Well, I, yeah, I met the, I met this artist character at that age, but, um, I didn't finish, which, which is, 
the point I was sort of getting to, I, uh, I really wasn't ready for the responsibility. I couldn't handle the homework. I couldn't handle uh, the drive because you're 14. It's, it's like two years before you can even make the drive by yourself. Right. So mm-hmm. um, you commute. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. And, and the commute was about an hour. Ooh. That's brutal, actually. Yeah. So I actually ended up not being able to finish. And I went back later and uh, did the online version of the course later on. Now, this and was, was, was I, yeah, I, did, I didn't finish until I was 19. Still, 19 is pretty young. Oh, yeah. That's that's rather impressive. Oh, A yeah. lot of people are just starting their first year of university at 19. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but still though, a two-year degree that takes you five years to get, you're it's a little slow. Well, I see what you're saying. I suppose that's that's uh, sort of the reality of art, though. I mean, a lot of your education. I think Watt mentioned this in the last podcast. A lot of your education comes from outside of the classroom. In fact, most of it has to come from experience and, and drawing yourself. Yeah, so, you know. And I- I agree with Watt 100% that college, uh, a college education does, isn't worth it, especially in the art field, uh, because so much of that is just creativity, and you're, you're better off watching YouTube tutorials and soaking up as much as you can and being good first. Uh, you know, you make sure that you've got the talent and you can make good art first. And then you can make a better judgment call, I think, uh, whether or not college is a requirement for you. Now, it's it's funny you say that, because one thing uh, we just discussed in the last episode um, is in terms of uh, honing your skills, uh, I brought up the idea or the question of whether, uh, you know, as you're trying to learn art, especially if you've never done art before, um, if you were to like copy or just sort of um, study in terms of uh, using the same techniques as a more well-known or more established artist, is that something you consider like bad to do or something you would want to stray away from? Or is that something you think would um, help to build or form a creativity of that person trying to do so? No, I, I think if there's an artist you admire, you should go ahead and copy them 100%. Uh, we'll emulate their style in any case. Uh, find something you like and get good at it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I've asked you of any specific stylistic influences besides, I assume, uh, Lucid Kitsune, who probably had a, a moderate amount of influence on you. Are there any artists you've aspired to mimic or produce uh, a style that's similar to yeah, well, uh, Lucid Kitsune was kind of like uh, just a friend, you know. I, I I don't know if we were inspirations on each other. We were just more learning together. Uh, but as far as inspirations go, I had a ton. Um, There's my dad who inspired me to draw. But as far as stylistic in- influences, uh, the guys from Antarctic Press, uh, Ben Dunn, who's an American manga artist who took uh, opened a business after uh, going to Taiwan uh, way back in the 80s. And uh, somebody who works for him, Fred Perry, which you've probably heard of him because he's on F.A. Um, they, uh, they opened a studio where 
they uh, publish American manga authors, and they did their own How to Draw series, which is the best How to Draw series that I found growing up. It is the only book that continually challenged me. Is that is that the duo that does the um, the comic with the wolves? Or am I? Do I have the wrong people? Um, you I might be do. thinking of the wrong person. Uh, Fred G. D. Perry. Uh, he does Gold Digger. That sounds okay. very, very familiar. Um, does that involve like a cheetah character? Yes. Ah, oh man, this is. God, man, I mean, I think that ages me now that I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm reminding you. So imagine <laughs> oh, how man. I feel. Oh God, I feel like are... I've, I've missed out on an important moment <laughs> of very history here. So I'm totally clueless on this. Oh, that was like Off that the... was. That was back in 2004 around DeviantArt times. I think that was a website yeah. of its own or something. I can't remember where I found it. He, he still uploads stuff, but not very often because he's one of those artists that are very concerned with his work being re-uploaded other places, oh. which, is not a, mm. which is not a concern that I have. But Okay. Um, so now that we've um, sort of discussed how you came about with art and um all that sort uh i'm not not sure if we very much clarified but do you do art now uh, especially with the sort of work we're kind of fo- focusing on for you here is this a full-time ordeal or do you do like a side job i know you said you're very um experienced in the it field do you do that as a more of st- stability for your life there actually no i i'm glad to say that I don't have to do that because IT was one of those things where is it paid great, but I just did not enjoy doing it. I'm good at it, uh, but I just didn't enjoy it. So uh, I made the choice shortly after moving uh, to where I am now in New York that I was going to attempt it and make a full time uh, go at it. And it's been pretty successful so, so far. I'm Actually, also a landlady, which helps fill in the financial gaps. Oh. An aristocrat. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. Have all the serfs serving under your reign. Oh, no, no, no. It Well... That's that's your IT job. You've got it backwards. (laughs) The the people that I rent to are friends, and it's it's actually a pretty... uh, It's it's a pretty full-time job in and of itself. Well, you, have to, you have to take care of the um, the property, correct? I mean, it's it's not just collecting the uh, the rent money. It's like you said, right. it has responsibility. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this this switch was at the same time you switched accounts. This was within the last two years, right? Yeah, I believe this was around July of last year. Right. And you, you started breaking and entering in August of last year, correct? I think about so. then, yeah. So this is tied in with with Patreon, which has opened up quite a few opportunities for people wanting to be career artists. I feel certainly, yeah, it's great. That must have been a factor, yeah. All right, good deal. So, um, and now we'll, I do want to go into um, pretty much what we're here for. So I know you said you met Lucid Kasune. And she kind of introduced you to the sort of horror genre and how expansive that is. But coming into um, the transformation, transgender aspect, 
of what um, a lot of your FA art consists of, what pretty much segued yourself into that sort of niche? Well, uh, I, I've always been into humiliation, uh, and that dates back to forever. You know, like a decade ago when I was like sneaking on to online muds and mucks and stuff when I was not supposed to be, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it started out as a fascination with, uh, humiliation and there are a whole bunch of different facets of that. Right. But, uh, public stuff is kind of really hard to do. It's hard to write and to draw. Um, Pub- what do you mean by public as in um, the idea of, of drawing public humiliation? Because it involves a lot of yeah. different characters to draw, right. correct? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of settled on the uh, gender transformation thing because I couldn't think of something that like would put some, someone in a more embarrassing situation uh, that was both easy to draw and had enough like story hook elements that I could make a comic out of it. So the transgender focus is a more recent development then. that doesn't necessarily come from a personal interest in transgenderism itself. It's more of a, um, sort of a, a convenient niche you found that relates to your other interests. Yeah. I mean, because I had drawn, I had drawn comics before Critical Condition. I mean, they were bad, but there was this one. There was this one uh, comic called Desert Paradise that had nothing to do with with transformation at all. Um, I had a whole gallery of art on DeviantArt before I moved to FA that had a whole bunch of just non-related art. But yeah, it's it's definitely something that I've done recently. So when you draw something like that so often, does it sort of grow on you, do you feel? Or is it something that uh, that becomes easier to, to think about, to, uh, I suppose, understand? Since it's, it's not necessarily always about the humiliation for people, as I'm sure right. you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, for, for me, it's a snowball effect. And this is probably true for a lot of artists. I would actually be really curious to find out artists who are known for one particular thing. I would really be interested to hear from about this because you draw, you you sat in a large project like Critical Condition. And then people like it. So since people like it, you want to draw more of it. And you draw more of it. And people come to you when, when they want a commission, and when they want a commission, that's what they ask for. So you've got all this commission art. You've got an ongoing project that you keep working on because people are appreciating it. And you can just get locked into something, which for me, I don't mind at all because I enjoy it. So you, you can say you can get sort of typecast, like uh, Daniel Radcliffe, you know, Harry Potter. Like, there's sort of... Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's... It's weird because it'll even work on a micro level. Like I got one commission for a Pokemon transformation and I got three requests, three Pokemon commission requests after that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, a single post can really change the trajectory of, a, of an artist's career in the furry community, at least. 
That's what I found. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That is. I haven't thought of that. And uh, do you feel that um, with this sort of typecasting, because I'm thinking of another person, uh, she's also an FA, and as well as other artists I've spoken to, but um, with this sort of uh, one-time wonder that becomes their run to popularity, do you think that could also be a double-edged sword? Um, And I say this because this one person I'm thinking of um, she actually is sort of the opposite of yourself. Uh, she did one thing and it was really more of, of a favor and then more people wanted it. And then she had to do more cause that's where the money was coming from, but it was sort of getting like a tiring, more of a, um, drawn out ordeal, uh, that really kind of upset her. So do you feel that some things that you do that have sort of typecasted, have sort of gotten that effect on you as well, or is it more so all of these things you really do enjoy doing, um, whether it be something that you did a one-off or something that you actually have uh, enjoyed doing previously? Well, there are both examples. I, I, I definitely was getting burned out on the Pokemon stuff towards the end. It's not something that I would want to be known for uh, in the long term. Mostly because I just haven't played Pokemon since the 90s. People are like, draw a Blaziken and I have to look it up, right? Because I have no idea what a Blaziken is. I'm, I'm definitely the old school 151 type of person. So uh, there are things like that that can get on my nerves over the long term. But I'm still happy to do them. Uh, and there are things that I'm known for, like TGTF, which I'm more than happy to do into the foreseeable future. Gotcha. And do you think that as an artist, especially one such as yourself or previously with LN that does it full time, um, do you think that there really is more of an adaptability to what you do? Um, Because of course you do it because you enjoy it, but you also have to do these things that you may not enjoy all the time. And really it's uh, something you have to sort of well, not compensate, but deal with as far as keeping the incoming flowing. Well, the great thing about having at least a a modicum of popularity, I I wouldn't claim to be popular, but I do have enough that there is demand. So the great thing about that is that I can sort of pick and choose, uh, which I, I guess could sound sort of mean to some people. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I, I was in line first. Why don't you draw my thing? But oh, overall, yes. yeah, overall, it's it's better for the artist, I think, to be drawing the stuff that they want to draw because more people get served that way. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I mean, it's in a patronage relationship. If the art starts becoming something you're not passionate about, then that ruins the entire point. So... There's nothing wrong, I think. With- yeah, and it, it, it'll make you work slower. It could make you just take a break. It could make you disappear for a month at a time. So, Which just happens right. to many different people, I'm sure. We, we yeah. know somebody, yeah. You, you seem relatively laid back as far as the demands of being a career artist, though. I mean, uh, you're not afraid to have your real name associated with your your work, your artwork, your um, your involvement with the furry community. You... Um, you aren't very reluctant to reveal, you know, uh, your past involvement with the community. 
you seem to be um, rather open to um, doing things that may not necessarily be a passion of yours, but you still seem to enjoy them. How do you get that sort of approach to to making art? Is that something you build over time? Is is there a mindset that you intentionally put yourself into to to have such a laid back approach to this? I I haven't really thought about it to be honest. Uh, I think I'm just jaded. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think I've just been around long enough where, uh, you know, whatever, man, you know, uh, no, no fucks left to give. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty it. much it. And, you know, that's it. It even shows in things like my my. Uh, policy on uh, piracy and everything, like, I, I don't I don't care, like if people are going to post my stuff somewhere or if people are going to download my Patreon stuff off of some, you know, black website, yeah, it's going to happen anyway. I The only thing I can really do is do my best to offer value to the people that pay me. And to make people like you enough to want to reward you. Yeah. And, and people, yeah. in my experience, people end up liking people who are laid back anyway. So. Right. No, no one's going to. Well, this isn't exactly true, but you're going to attract far more people being completely open and uh, making your art freely available than someone who types in all caps, OC, do not steal, you know? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I can definitely see you on that. Plus, that's that's free advertising for you, too. Yeah, that's the way I look at it. So, commendable approach. <laughs> Sorry, so, you were saying, uh, yeah. Um, so you mentioned, um, you know, these artists from way back with the gold digger that had so aged me so, um, and how they made how to uh, guides and all that sort. And I did see one thing um, on your FA, like on the front page, where you mentioned, um, and this is sort of unrelated to what you do it's more of like a general tip guide but it, it's pretty much like a website where um concept artists or anyone involved in that sort of uh playing field can post their work and you said they also post like uh guides and um i guess concepts of what they've done so can you tell us a little bit more of um what you've gained from that if that's something that you actively research look into and how that could help some somebody you know trying to come into art themselves sure well uh, the site that you're talking about is cg society uh and i would i would really recommend especially if you're in 3d art because it's a little more helpful there there uh but uh yeah go go check it out look at the gallery they have workshops they have tutorials and just build you know make a folder in your bookmarks for uh, tutorial-related artistic things, because it'll pay off in the long run. Uh, find YouTubers, find uh, find websites, find uh, resource dumps for things like screen tones and pattern stamps and brushes for Photoshop. I mean, this is all stuff that as you collect over the years, you've got this giant toolbox that you can just go to, uh, and uh, you'll be surprised, like, you'll be using like this cloud brush 
you got for Photoshop three years ago that you'd totally forgotten about, but now you need mm-hmm. to do clouds. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's not just CG society. It's not just people like uh, Psycho Yasin. Just, yeah, make your own collection because there is no short, shortage of resources out there. Well, that ties back to what you said earlier, right, about, um, you know, like a, a formal education not being the most efficient way to learn art. You're saying the, the best way to go about it is slowly assembling, you know, a textbook of your own, sort of a toolbox of things you can reference just that are already out there on the Internet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Have you ever considered um, writing guides yourself? I mean, I think a lot of people would agree you're uh, technical ability on on things like fluids or uh, expressions is um, pretty well admired, and I'm sure people might be interested in seeing what you had to say specifically about such things. Has that ever crossed your mind? It did a while ago, and here here's the thing: uh, I come from DeviantArt, and this is this is the old days. So, oh, I remember those in things. the old days. On the old days in DeviantArt, everybody and their mother had a tutorial. Uh, <laughs> You know, how to do hair, how to, how, to, oh, yes. how I shade, how I color, how I sketch. And I had done a couple, and I had gotten to the point where it's just, the market is just saturated. Even if I created content that was good, it's just going to get buried under this avalanche of image tutorials. And I, and I feel like uh, I'm open to doing this, but I feel like in a world where we have streaming video, that image-based tutorials or text-based tutorials are sort of obsolete. Mm. But I would be open to doing tutorials if that's something people wanted me to do. Hmm. Interesting to hear. And um, since we're on the topic of tutorials and all these things here, um, one thing I do want to ask is uh, in terms of like the core the base of doing a sketch or an art piece, especially with um, sentient beings being involved, whether it be furry um, persons, monsters, whatever. Um, the biggest thing that most uh, aspiring artists or new artists have, of course, is um, doing anatomy in poses of course, because like Meliflox is saying with expressions, that's really the most difficult thing to sort of perceive in art because you're pretty much taking a snapshot of what someone similarly in real life would look like and applying that to a picture that, uh, especially with like furries, is sort of trying to make a, a side reality. So in terms of Things like that, creating good anatomy, posing, expression, uh, skills. What would you, what would you say would be the best place to start with that? The best place to start with that is probably a traditional textbook. To be honest, there are tons of uh, books out there that you can go out there and buy that are nothing but pages and pages of anatomy. Uh, there are also a few websites, uh, life drawing websites that will give you a model and a random pose and have you sketched over 20 minutes. Those are the kinds of things that you have to do to get good at anatomy. Anatomy, there's no shortcut. You've got to look at, at real life reference and you've just got to do it over and over and over again until it becomes rote. Uh, with expressions, that's slightly different. 
because especially in the manga style, in any sort of cartoon style, uh, taking uh, taking notes from real life isn't enough, right? Because mm-hmm. animals don't have eyebrows, right? <laughs> so uh, you want to look at uh, the way Disney does it. Disney is on their channel has got a ton of behind the scenes. Uh, mm-hmm shots of how the artists work and what they do um you're going to want to look at youtube tutorials and uh just find out what works right like mm-hmm. with furries one of the things that i discovered works really well ears are really expressive particularly if they're really long so um not everything's going to be pointed out to you necessarily you just got to play around with stuff gotcha it's crazy you say that because i remember the old saying um with hands if you haven't drawn a thousand hands then you haven't learned anything yet um because i've actually fiddled with art myself and hands are probably my kryptonite and i really do despise doing them <laughs> and that's what yeah what, it, hands are hair, oh sorry hands are one of those things where uh i was terrible at until i wasn't right there there was no line <laughs> Like I, I just you I drew it over and over and over again and I was hiding them because I thought they looked terrible <laughs> until I just until I'd just done it enough that it looked okay. And suddenly I stopped hiding. Like I couldn't tell you when that happened. There comes because, a time in, in every yeah. artist's life where they stop drawing the hands as awkward yes. boxes. More noodle fingers than is needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, good stuff. Um, now, focusing more so on your art, though, um, one recurring theme I see um, looking you know, at your FA page is um, obviously I see a lot of blue. We can sort of understand where that's coming from. But <laughs> um, in terms of the theme goes, though, it's looking through your gallery and even especially... Um, with the breaking and entering, I'm not sure if that was more of a choice of uh, your your end or if it's something what's what's up recommended. But a lot of it seems um, a light theme color scheme, uh, especially you know in the darker moments. There's still a bit of a, a light lightness to it. But what really brought you to bringing or sorry, not taking on that sort of color scheme with your artwork? Well, I uh, part of it just comes from liking the anime style, uh, which lends itself to those super bright, contrasty colors. Um, I mean, that's primarily where it comes from. Like you said, What's Up colors the comic, so a lot of a lot of the color in that comic uh, is on him. But it does match a lot of my other work, and the main reason for the way that it's colored is just the stuff that I like. Um, I, and it, also the other uh, FA artists that I like. Um, I follow people like uh, uh, Ryusukun, um, uh, Demicor, uh, Slugbox. Slugbox is a really oh, good example if gosh. you want to see where I get a lot of my uh, color inspiration from there's another old one that ages me 
<laughs> I know that name though. I know that this time. I'm in the I'm in the in the loop. Oh man. All right. Well, that's good stuff though. Um, because you know, looking at your art, I mean, I know you said the whole transgender thing was tying back to your perspective on humiliation, but do you feel that choosing this sort of color scheme uh, or art style that kind of puts a light mood on what the stereotypical understanding of humiliation um, goes in terms of that? Uh, I really haven't thought a ton uh, about what the color does for the mood of a comic, which I probably should, to be honest. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. probably something that I should have in mind. It's just that I am new enough to color the original the original critical condition was all in black and white and uh, a, a lot of sketches particularly in the old days just go unfinished so i'm new enough to color that i'm just sort of understanding the palette that i have worked with in the past enough that i'm good at it so changes to my coloring may come later and i may be able to get to the point where i can color in a way that matches the mood of what's going on but to be perfectly honest with you I'm just not good enough for that yet. Uh, there will be a time, I'm I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. When it's you evolve coming. into into Cora Red, and we can have those, those red. dark colors. Hey, I mean, we're going off of the uh, original Pokemon colors, so it's bound to happen. Followed right. by we gold know, and silver. We know. <laughs> we know how much you love the Pokemon. Um, <laughs> you do um, 3D art as well, correct? Oof. I I used to. I think it's fair to say that you know, art is not exactly like riding a bike, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like you can hop on a tool that you haven't used after seven years and just ride it. Um, and I think that applies to 3D because I've done a lot of it in the past, but my focus has been on 2D so much lately that my 3D work is probably not up to par. Are but there yes. any other... Um art mediums that you you are more comfortable with still or are you primarily in the digital art right now uh is there any art style or or medium you'd like to learn in the future uh absolutely yeah i'm primarily in the digital realm right now as a matter of fact what i'd really like to do is get my hands on uh, a vr headset because like you you know you see people working with uh zbrush and uh, all these paint apps specifically coded for vr that are coming out and I've seen a whole bunch of uh, sketches recently that are sketched in 3D and VR. I, I really wish I could afford a headset so I could play around with that. Whoa, that's actually I hadn't heard of that. So there's there's yeah. it's 3D art, but it's not the it's not the CG modeling. It's like um, I wouldn't know how to describe it actually. Um, you go ahead. Sorry. I know I'm not specifically. Well, I'm not sure which specific VR system you're referring to, but I know that um, the forthcoming Microsoft HoloLens, um, that's pretty much a full and depth uh, virtual world where you're in a room and every surface is essentially a, um, a virtual reality. Uh, so in terms of, like, say, a... Uh, uh, modeler or concept designer. Uh, one example they put forth was some uh, d- uh, designer that makes motorcycles, so he could 
real-time one-to-one scale design of motorcycle with these hololens and just go at it with zbrush or whatever um app you what have you so yeah that would be pretty cool yeah, yeah. The, the HoloLens itself is probably a little overhyped, but um, yeah, it, it doesn't really matter what tool. I, I would, I would really be interested in making three-dimensional art um, in first person. Uh, I, I would take up sculpting or painting or something like that, but it's just, it's like cost of raw materials plus the fact that I don't have a car and I'm in the middle of nowhere. So. Uh, I would really be interested in a substitute for that. And I think VR is a great solution. You know, I, I'm bet I'm not alone in, in thinking this, but I would pay good money to, to get you the VR stuff you need and get to see some core blue art in 3d, because that would be pretty <laughs> badass. I mean, I'm sure you might be able to crowdfund that sort of thing. Have you ever considered that? I have not considered it. I, I don't think it's something that I would want to do because Going going to your following for money is something you right. can only do so many times. Yeah. So um I ha- I haven't done that yet, except for except for my Patreon campaign. But um yeah, I mean I, I'd be open to it. If somebody wants to buy me a uh a Vive, I, it's not like I'll say no. You know? hey, hey, hey guys, I mean we we gotta we can't let her down here. I know what you're saying though about like the the bringing the money into it. I mean, part of the art is you're doing it because you are an artist, and when you when you bring money into the equation, it it can corrupt the dynamic of sorts. So I, well, I see the concern it, Yeah, and there. it can also it can also erode people's trust in you. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Still, I mean, 3D TFTG. Who doesn't want that? Yeah, I can see so. it now. Breaking and entering. Now in 3D, like <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, okay, guys, I've had it for a week. Here's the first one, and it's just some stick figure because I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> yes, I can't hey, even... You paid seven hundred dollars for this. Hope you like it. I can't even conceptualize how you would you would draw though in the the 3D environment. Like, is this, would you like manipulate with your hands, your fingers? I, well, you've so... got we've well, got those hand controllers, right? Right. So imagine. Uh, in real life right now, you don't you don't v- need VR, but imagine you've got a pen and wherever you drag it in the air, there's a three dimensional line that follows that pen. Have you ever written with a with a, like a sparkler on the Fourth of July? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's that sort of like sense. that. Yeah. Except the sparkler stays. Yeah. And when it's done, it's it's sexy, furry anthropomorphs. So you're the uh, you'd be the real Mickey Mouse. You'd be making things out of thin air with a wand. Could erase them, too, just after they get sentience. <laughs> was... Erase, uh, humiliate them maybe a little bit, just to, you know. I remember maybe that, just a little uh, bit. I remember that Mickey Mouse uh, little thing with them in the... I forgot what it was called. Was it Fantasia? Oh, my God. I'm so yeah, Fantasia. Yeah, it was. Yes. It actually scared me as a kid. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It was very scary, especially the wizard guy. He looked like he was putting down a putting down some milk. Grumpy work. dude. Yeah, he was that, that face. He was gonna oh, put the hammer down. It's not even the worst part. I mean, the the night on Bald Mountain from that that was like I don't I can't believe they showed that stuff to kids. I mean, that's like Satanists and there are all these nude chicks dancing around on demon hands. I was. <laughs> I was <laughs> so bah, 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 bah. 
Good stuff, though. But um, just to um, close off with uh, the first part of the episode here, uh, where do you kind of see yourself um, in the future here, say 10 years from now, um, five years from now, uh, what have you? Do you feel like you'll still have this steady interest in what you do, or do you feel like you'll maybe pick up on something else that will tickle your fancy? Well, I certainly hope I'm still doing it in 10 years. I mean, that, that's pretty far, uh, particularly when you rely on platforms like Patreon, because you don't know how long they're going to be around. Like Facebook has only been around for nine years. So okay. yeah. uh, when, when we think about things that are that long term, it's probably best not to set up any concrete plans. I can say that breaking and entering itself won't last that long. I, I will move on to other projects, whether it's, you know, four to eight pages of critical condition every month or some other new project. But yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of continuing on a series that long. Because if, if you've ever read any uh, TGTF web comics that go on forever and ever and ever like misfile and ranma it just devolves into something that it wasn't really meant to be so yeah i'll I'll definitely be changing it up but i'll hopefully be still around so is obviously art in general is something you'd probably like to do for the rest of your life if possible but is is your interest Mm -hmm. in transformation specifically you know tftg is that something that might fade away into other niche um or um if the medium presents itself uh go back to a more specific focus on the humiliation and and those aspects you are interested in yeah that that's possible and that will probably happen at some point uh but i I don't think the tgtf is ever going to completely go away all right all right good stuff so that is bringing us to the end of uh part one here so we'll go ahead and go into a break and we'll be back for part two shortly this is cheesy dino as well as co-host mel fox fox (laughs) with the changing times podcast and we'll be back shortly thank you Welcome back, everybody. 
You're listening to the Changing Times podcast, where we talk about anything and everything transformation related. Uh, we're here back for part two. This is your host, Cheesy Dino, and also joined by my co-host, Meliflox. Hello. And uh, here we have tonight, Core Blue, as our special guest. So welcome to you once more. Hey, thank you. All right, so for this part, um, we do want to focus more so on um, what you've really been doing primarily um, for yourself as an artist, which is the Breaking and Entering comic. Uh, so to start off with that, what pretty much got you the inspiration to start that comic? It was just a matter of money at that point, because I had a whole bunch of people asking about critical condition and this comic, I enjoyed it so much. Why aren't there more pages? Why aren't there more projects? And at the same time, the people who are coming to me to commission me were either just getting single images or the comics were not TGTF related. And I was at a point where it's like, I would, I would really love to do this, but I just don't have the free time because I had just decided that I was going to actually try and make, a living out of this. So rather than ask for money up front, which I knew I didn't want to do, uh, I decided to gauge interest by starting the Patreon. Okay. So this, when does this conceptualization start? I mean, the comic itself was in August, I think, as we said earlier, but is this um, early that year? Couple months. Yeah, before. I actually I have concept art of all the boys in my gallery somewhere. Here we go. I can actually tell you the date here. December sixteenth, two two thousand fifteen. Oh, so, so that's this, yeah, significantly before. Yeah, that's yeah. So I was thinking about it for a while, um, and uh, yeah, like you said, it wasn't until like August of next year that it actually took off. So the so, has the characters have been in the works. How? When did this story itself sort of start to take shape? And, and how much of that is is already sort of written out? Like, do you have an end goal in mind right now? I know the um, the meeting with Patreon means that um, people might want it to go past the point you would naturally um, end it at. So is is that set in stone for yourself? Do you do you have the story sort of the comic already written out? Well, this is one of the greatest weaknesses of breaking and entering and definitely something I want to fix in my next project, because no, there up until now, there has been no script. I've had it all in my head, which is great in theory, because who else needs to know it? But then you realize after drawing a couple pages, you have no idea what the characters are going to be saying. You have to wing it and, and end up in a place where. I was just confusing people because I had introduced all these plot elements at, at like five plot elements going on and I explained none of them yet. So uh, I just ended up confusing people. So it's not it wasn't written out up until now. I actually just started doing that. Oh, so, that's, so you're working on on getting it more concrete so you don't run into that problem. That's that's happening now. Yeah, first, yeah and I, I would highly recommend anybody who plans on doing a comic that lasts more than 10 or 15 pages, definitely do a rough draft uh, of where where you start to where you think 
the comic's going to end and at least at least plan out dialogue and when you reveal certain things, because for me, it's been a, a pretty big pain. Yeah, it could, be, it could be easy to miss those emotional beats, um, those plot points, if the pacing isn't isn't preconceived. I, I, I'm i actually surprised. It seems to be a problem that a lot of mm. comics, a lot of artists run into is is sort of this uh, meandering syndrome. Um you know where where dialogue doesn't quite fit because right, it's sort of been been shoved in edgewise. Is is this something in your experience that a lot of people struggle with? I I would imagine they do right because there's no there's no high school course on on comics and it's not like there that the how tos are common enough that it's just once you become an artist it's common knowledge. Right now, we're in a place where that's definitely just a learning experience. You have to do it and mess up before you figure it out. <laughs> but the next one, you you know what you're doing now. Yeah, and, and Critical Condition was like sort of a happy accident. I actually didn't end up learning this on Critical Condition because it was just sort of accidentally good. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't it wasn't too complicated. It was pretty straightforward and it only was only 20 pages. So I kind of. I got off easy on that one. Just clicked, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, that definitely is something of an issue, not even just like with for uh, for your artists or anything like that, but even um, more generalized comic or manga artists actually because i'm thinking of um tuto kubo or tuto kube or the bleach manga um and how drawn out that was but the the ending just wasn't as satisfying as what most of the fans were really expecting of that um and it's just really more so i guess with how long the manga went out for and how much plot development was put through and then it just kind of abruptly ended uh, such in a way so i can definitely see that um not even just you know uh online or web comic artists but more so with any comic artist really uh, especially for something as drawn out as that or uh something more than 15 pages as you as you said i wonder yeah. if there's um sorry uh do you think there's there's possibly going into sort of this these new possibilities for artists and, and for the furry community you know is there more demand for collaborative teams on this sort of project i mean you're already working with watt as a colorist um and as i'm sure you're you've learned that the splitting of the um responsibilities the sort of specialization can really really help with the process to create a, a final product with a little less um burden on a single person do you feel that's sort of the future of of tf content is these sorts of collaborative efforts well yeah i mean that that's how the original studios like marvel and dc were be were able to be so popular is that they made a couple uh they made a couple comics that were good uh and then they created demand but they needed to fill that demand so they hired more artists and were able to put out more comics at a time. Eventually, eventually, there's a point where that's not a good idea, right? Because we all know the industry crashed. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's the primary reason why I did it is speed. 
because I want people to look back at the at the end of the month and say, oh, I got these four to six pages. Whereas if I was just doing it by myself, I'd probably probably only be able to get three out, maybe four. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's better uh, in terms of volume of content if I have somebody like WhatsApp helping me out. So do you think you might work with him again or with uh, would this be a long term partnership or is this sort of a one off experiment of sorts? Oh, well, we're friends, right? So uh, whatever we do uh, in the future, I imagine there's going to be the opportunity for a collaboration later. Uh, we've already talked about uh, potentially doing some sort of, sort of a game project because LN is doing one right now. I think he talked about it on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he he's did. Do- yeah. yeah, he's doing a, a sort of um, VN game. Um We've talked about all three of us coming together after that one's done to see if there's anything else to do. Um, but yeah, I imagine, I imagine in the future, if it's not BNE, it'll be something. If it's not uh, BNE, I I'm miss oh breaking entering. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> all right, sorry. No, it's uh, I uh, I'm just a little too slow on that one. Abbreviations so. or acronyms it messes everyone up. So there, there probably will be more after breaking and entering, and and probably soon. It sounds like. I mean, this is this is sort of your central um, income is this extended comic now with the, the collaborations possibly. Do you have any any ideas already in place for the next one, or are you focusing on finishing breaking and entering first? I, I'm focusing on finishing breaking and entering first, after which. I at least want to redo critical condition up to where I stopped it. So once once breaking and entering stops, if critical condition is not up to page, I don't know what it was. It was like 24 pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'll work on that. And um, once breaking and entering is done and critical condition is caught up, I'll sort of reevaluate um, and see where I want to go from there. I could do more critical condition from where the original left off, or I could start something completely new. I'm not sure yet. And uh, what about like the, the first few pages of uh, breaking and entering? Are you planning on getting those colored eventually? Are you keeping them um, sort of in the black and white aesthetic? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I, I would feel bad charging patrons for coloring pages that have already they've already been charged for mm-hmm. um at the same time my stretch goal wasn't met back then so if i were to go back and coloring color them now it would be out of my own pocket so i'm trying to figure out maybe there's a happy medium maybe i can do four of the uncolored pages for the price of one update i mean that that's definitely something that i can pull people on uh, the only reason why I haven't done it is because I'm not sure where the time is going to come from. Right, because you'd rather get a new page out that's colored than than recolor the old ones. Yeah, said, yeah, you know. and that that's that's why I say time. Right, it's it's not really money. I could do it, but do people want to see a new page or do I they want to see the old pages colored? Right, I'm pretty sure the answer is, is new page for most people. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. No. Um, Sorry, all yours, cheesy. <laughs> no problem. 
Now, in terms of breaking and entering itself, because um, uh, just for the people who aren't aware of your comic, um, so far we have these three, I guess you could call a bromance that kind of took a literal turn of events. But um, these three individuals, um, I've only, to be honest, gotten so far as the color pages. I haven't gone back on the black and white, but um, right now the the sort of event happening is two of these individuals have um, stumbled into a place that, as most horror stereotypicals go, takes a very wrong turn of things, so it um, kind of brought them to where they are now, but in terms of the uh, story, like, what what kind of drives the plot right now? I know you said it was kind of, you know, winging it and going by ear, but what is sort of driving it now that you're trying to make it more organized? Like, what what do you have planned in terms of putting that forward? Well, the, the driving force right now is um, th- there are kind of two separate plots going on now. Um, there is Jack and Buck and them trying to escape the mansion, which is going to be its whole separate thing. Um, and then Husky and the witch and how he tries to keep her occupied. Um, so Uh, as far as pl- plot elements go, uh, we still don't know uh, who Husky was on the phone with. Uh, we don't know where the witch comes from. Um, and we don't know what's going on with uh, Mischief, the uh, rat character. That's his name. I was, I was going to ask that because it's <laughs> not in the comic, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love those big ears, and he sort of disappeared. We haven't seen him since. Yeah. But, uh, so he He's will be somewhere. making a reappearance. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, uh, as as far as these characters go, um, is there sort of a resemblance uh, for where you got the inspiration to create them or form their personalities is there a kind of parallel to people you know in real life um that kind of form them no i i what i knew is that i had a weakness uh last year which was a lot of the characters that i drew looked the same um and i i even had a problem where when i had one character if I drew them over and over and over again, the design would sort of drift. So if you look at it, I even sort of still have this problem now. If you look at um, Jack or Buck on like page 15, 16, they look different than they did on page one or on the cover. So it was part, uh, I, I wanted a diverse cast because I wanted to fix this. I wanted to be able to draw characters that people recognized uh, and that I could draw over and over and over again and have be drawing different characters, but have be able to draw them in a recognizable way. So from there, it was just a question of what kind of characters do I want? So I decided on sort of a, a like a chubbier build for Husky, a really tall, lanky build for Jack, 
a typical like high school jock sort of build for Buck. And then uh, for Mischief, I just did the the short like runt of the group. So I wanted I wanted a whole bunch of different personalities, but I also wanted a whole bunch of different body types and recognizable facial characteristics so that I could improve my own art. It brings up the question then, um, the witch transforms Jack by, by making him shorter. Is there any sort of symbolism in that? I'm, I'm probably reading way too much into this, but uh, that struck me as not something that's, that's a really incredibly common trope in, in transformation is, um, I guess, height decrease. I mean, it happens by default when people change forms, but as a specific explicit goal of the transformer that was something i haven't seen a lot of yeah well it part part of it was just generic power play stuff mm-hmm. which which is again like really closely tied to humiliation and then part of it was just a poll that i did on patreon asking people what they wanted to see next i think that was one of one of the choices so i went ahead and did that really so mm-hmm. there was the people's choice the people wanted wanted short jack Huh. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find that poll for reference later. But uh, yeah, there's a poll with uh, four or five choices on it, and that was one of them. And um, since we kind of spoke about uh, your Patreon, do you feel, uh, especially in terms of the comic itself, do you think that Patreon has really helped to set the solid ground um, as doing this? whole artist thing full time yeah i i think it's i think it's the economic model that we have to use right now because we're in a place where uh for better or for worse uh content just has no uh sort of value attached to it on its own so like with movies uh you can go to a movie theater and and pay a couple bucks or honestly at this point you just wait until the academy awards when there are screeners out and you just download it so (laughs) i mean that i mean it may not be legal it may not be right i mean that's sort of irrelevant that's the world we live in um so I think as Patreon, the, one of the reasons that it's great is that your content is going to end up out there eventually anyway. But Patreon is a way to do timed exclusivity in a way that I don't think is awful. Is there anything you would change to make it better? Because it's a, I'm sure it's, it's relatively young as a website. Um, nobody gets it right the first time, right? And especially mm-hmm. uh, you as an artist, I'm sure you'd be in a place to know the things where it's sort of misses the mark. Do you have any ideas in that regard? Oh, yeah. That There are a couple of features that, that Patreon has that I really wish does not have that I wish it did. Uh, it just got polling. And that's something that I would have wanted months ago. Um, as of right now, you can't upload multiple images at a time. Ugh. So when I want to make a when I want to release pages, right? Say I have two pages. Well, that's automatically two posts that people have to scroll past to read the two pages. But it's even worse than that because uh, 
I for three dollar patrons, they get this huge, enormous 4K version. So for two pages, it's actually four posts. If I if I had any sort of alternate model, it could be more. So yeah, the the lack of ability to upload multiple things at a time is kind of annoying. Well, uh, that's as, a time sink for the artist as well. I mean, spending time getting the individual uploads done. Yep, and then there is absolutely no uh, gallery or anything like that. So if you're looking for a specific post, you've got to scroll all the way down. Oh uh, yeah. So. This is one of the reasons why I coded coreblue.net from scratch, because there's, it's impossible to read the comic on Patreon itself. Oh, you, you made your website yourself. I suppose that makes sense. You were in IT, right? Mm-hmm. Nice how that worked out. <laughs> yeah, it was good for something. And I will say, for some reason, Patreon's support of mobile devices is not in sync for whatever reason. I know I've tried to... Uh, downloading jpg or zip files and for some reason the uh, phones have trouble recognizing them (laughs) i I try and be patient patient with patreon because there's currently no better place to go but their technical team is having having a tough time uh you can't block patrons right now at all uh and uh i had to actually instruct their it team on their own API because it doesn't work. <laughs> Did they pay you for that? Because no, like no. Doing their job. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you download their API and try and integrate it to your own website, for instance, they ask you for a secret client ID, which they do not give you. <laughs> so I emailed them and I had to ask them for this code that they don't have on their website. And they're like, oh, sorry, we didn't know that that wasn't there. Here's yours, and we'll try and fix it later. Catch-22 at its finest. Are there any alternatives right now? Are there any competitor websites that people might use? I mean, there's Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but those are sort of like a project sort of ordeal. Right, they're not not for like an extended income. Yeah. You know, reliable income. Huh. Well, hopefully they sort out their shit because that sounds a bit nightmarish. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, but with Patreon, sorry. Oh, it's okay. Uh, there are a couple of Patreon alternatives, but they're all new enough that I wouldn't, I wouldn't migrate to them. Not for uh, a long time. Okay. I'm sure there's one that'll flesh out eventually. <laughs> if Patreon doesn't get their things together by then. Um, but in terms of really using Patreon or whatever um, device you want to use to convey your work, um, do you feel that Patreon really does open up the the capabilities of what an artist can or wants to do? Um, and, and I reference this because uh, previously at the beginning of the season here, I spoke with Aranya, who... Um, Initially did everything uh, from her own website, and of course it was all transformation. So one of the biggest controversies revolving that, uh, and especially when I spoke to her on the episode on that matter, was um, doing things that she wanted to do for her own. Uh, I know you said you like doing what you do and you're getting paid to do it, but um, in terms of Arania's case, because she's dishing out like over... $200,000 
200 pages of art every month. Um, just having the time to do something for her personal self was really an issue. Uh, but then came Patreon, which I kind of discussed with her because she didn't start one at the time, uh, but she was thinking of the idea, was starting the Patreon so that way she could sort of get funds to do her own portfolio while also doing these sort of incentives for the art that's already existing on her site. So do you think that you'll maybe use your Patreon for similar things uh, outside of breaking and entering or any future projects to be withheld? Yeah. Uh, th- the great thing about Patreon, like we were sort of talking about this earlier, but uh, the reason people get commissions is not only because their OC appears in the image, but it's also because they control the content. Uh so, I mean, that's the value for commissions, which ranges anywhere from, you know, 20 to $200. Uh, when you only have, when you don't have your original character appearing in the image, and the content is something you want, but you don't necessarily control, you'll find that there are a lot of people willing to pay for that, just not as much. Which is why Patreon is great, because it allows a whole bunch of people to all throw in a dollar because that's what it's worth to them. But the end game is the artist still gets paid the exact same amount anyway. And everybody's happy. Yeah. Indeed. So it's a win-win situation. (laughs) So, so sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, because I know we're running out of time here. Is there any sort of sneak peek you can give us on what's coming for uh, breaking and entering? I know part of the uh, you know the appeal of Patreon is the exclusivity, but I can't but be curious. I mean, Husky's—he's got that onk around his neck and this scar, and clearly he's got some sort of sort of power that the witch didn't expect, you know. And, and at the same time, sort of Bucket Jack are are kind of losing it. Um, what's going to happen? Uh. Well, I can say that in the next chapter, we'll figure out where mischief has been. And we'll also find out who called Husky before he went in the house. Okay. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Um, In in terms of um, what's up, uh, I know we we did sort of discuss his matter uh, briefly there, but what made you choose him as the sort of um, term goal for Patreon on adding him as a colorist. Uh, it just it came out of the fact that he offered. Really, uh, I said. Oh, really. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, and we, like I said, we've been friends for a while, so I don't have too many of those. <laughs> that oh, makes me sound no. sad. <laughs> that makes me sound sad. No, it's fine, really. But uh. No, I I only have a couple of artist uh, artist friends that I know well enough to trust with deadlines, and uh, I brought it up to him, and he offered to do it. So it's just sort of a happy happy accident, really. Oh, another one of those. You seem to be a yeah. lucky one. <laughs> I try. Um, and just have some good luck charm. <laughs> Get a rub off on us. We're gonna. We're going to have happy accidents all week now. <laughs> got uh, dream catchers and bunny rabbit uh, feet hanging everywhere around your house. 
But uh, in, in terms of your comic, though, um, since we were talking about uh, with Patreon and, uh, you know, the future to see with that, but should the comic get more, you know, traction, evolve to something bigger? Is there any other incentives that you may uh, add on to that if uh, that gains more uh, popularity, you know, like another bracket or another level of Patreon support that you could uh, offer additional rewards? I've been struggling with that because I think the last stretch goal that I made was for $500, and we've almost doubled that, and I haven't come up with one. And the reason is is that I'm just not sure what I would offer. I would offer more pages, but I don't have the time uh, to do more than I'm already doing. Uh, they're already in color. The website, uh, the website getting updates is sort of already on the list. Um, that's, uh, that's another idea for me that you guys have given me, really, because I should really pull my patrons to figure out what stretch goals they would want. Because honestly, it's on them at this point. Like I, I am sort of, I'm happy where I am. Like I'm getting paid to make this comic, and there's nothing really that I want to add to it. But yeah, I, I definitely go looking for ideas if people had them. Uh, you could always draw additional art of the characters, right? Which is technically something that i should be doing already it was like my second stretch goal i've fallen a little bit behind on that but yeah that that is a good idea because they are rather well designed i, I quite like the the broken antler on on buck i that's something you focus on you said earlier so yeah i guess kudos <laughs> on that I'd like to see more but uh i think we are uh we're about out of time right cheesy uh, getting pretty close, so um, we'll go ahead and close off with a, a final question here. So we've gone over your comic, how it started, um, you know, the sort of improvements you can establish now and in the future, but um, in terms of what you could do over again, or even as in terms of what you can give as advice to, you know, an artist or Anyone who wants to start their own comic, what would you have to say for that? Uh, the thing that I would say is definitely the planning. If, if I could go back and change something, I definitely would have scripted this out from the beginning instead of starting a chapter two. Uh, if anybody's thinking about doing a comic, that's definitely something you're going to want to do first. Uh, as far as something that I did that went right, um, if if anybody wants my advice, it's before you go to Patreon, before you start uploading anything, uh, do the first five or six pages first. Don't don't tell anybody that you've done them. Just get five or six pages uh, enough to get somebody into it, uh, and then release it because you're gonna know how long it takes you to do a page. You're gonna know. You're going to have a rough idea of the flow and where the story is going. And you're going to have an idea of whether or not this is something you're going to want to do for a really long time. So if anybody's thinking of starting a comic, definitely get a few pages done before you tell anybody. Not even a little sneak peek for a friend or two. <laughs> I 
I mean, that's okay. I mean, like, like, I, like I did, I, I released some scrap art of some concepts of the characters, but yeah, I didn't upload anything uh, in terms of pages until I had five or six done. And that worked out really well. Gotcha. Well, great stuff to hear from you, Cora Blue. Uh, but yes, that is bring us now to the end of the episode. So I do again want to thank you for your time and your uh, kind words and advice for our listeners here. Uh, so again, this is your host, Cheesy Dino, um, and joined by co-host Mela Flox. Um, That's me. If you would like to pursue or follow Cora Blue with her work, uh, you can go to her for affinity.net if you want some general information of what she does and what she likes to do. And that is for affinity.net slash user slash Cora Blue. And if you want more on her comic, Breaking and Entering, you can visit the website of CoraBlue.net, uh, which is, as she said, it's attached to her Patreon. So if you already have one, you simply have to log in, um, you know, choose a level of support, and then you can just sign in in the future and get the latest page, or you can register for a Patreon and do the same. So, um... Again, I thank you everybody for listening into the Changing Times podcast. Um, we're getting pretty close to the end of season two, so look forward to that. But otherwise, I look forward to listening and getting to more for you guys soon. So thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>